0: With us on Tuesday, my Griff with AJC's Golf Nation. Griff, I gotta admit, I, I had the Georgia-Kentucky basketball game on Saturday. I don't know why. Georgia looked kind of fired up there. I know you say they don't care there, but that was a nice win.
1: Oh, I think the players care. I, I think the ten thousand people in the arena cared. It's just as a whole, you know. I don't think that Georgia has the same investment in basketball you know, a Kentucky or a Tennessee or an Arkansas uh, or Florida has. And they certainly don't pay their players as much. And that's just the deal, you know. And this is where we're at with basketball. And and we've kind of been there a long time, but now especially, is what's your salary cap, what's your investment. And, you know, if you look at Georgia, it's one of the two smallest arenas. So from a revenue standpoint, it's never going to really, you know, be valuable for them to invest like it would a Kentucky or Tennessee did You know, both those arenas hold over 20,000. So, I I just, you know, it is what it is. Kentucky, obviously this isn't a typical Kentucky team, you know, beginning to wonder if we're nearing the end of John Calipari there. Even though he's had great success over the Hall, you know, he got kind of sideways last year with Stoops and his AD. And, um, you know, you just kind of wonder if the formula's broke now. Um, um, But, but again, it's, it's too early. I'm not ready to write him off yet. Uh, you know they could still you know go on a run, maybe be a Sweet 16 team, maybe even better. Um, or it could go the other way. So yeah, it was a nice win for Georgia to beat Kentucky. They they don't do it often uh, historically. Um, so good win for Mike White. Five and seven now in the SEC. RPI is only around 134 though. Probably not much of a shot at any sort of postseason.
0: When you were in Alabama in the nineties. Did Alabama have a basketball team as good as this one? Ranked number one right now. I don't know that they've ever had a basketball team
1: as good as this one. That's, that's kind of good a good question. Yeah. Um, no, I, I was right after. I just missed. I was doing Auburn when McDice was there, and that's when they were really good. The, McD- the Antonio McDice, yeah. um, Jason Caffey teams, um, you know, that Wimp had towards the end of his tenure. Maybe Hobbs had him early. Uh, mid 90s you know they were they were you know the Alabama teams I covered were were just okay I went to an NIT that was my first ever trip to Manhattan it was 97 Alabama NIT team uh Ron Artest was on the St. John's team they played um so that, that's how I kind of remember that team I, I'm thankful that they took me to the NIT final four they beat Lou Henson in his final game as the Illinois coach in Champaign in the NIT that year so I was there in um, Champaign Illinois for an NIT game and then um And then I remember the trip to Manhattan, which was, you know, everybody can probably remember their first ever trip to Manhattan. It's kind of an eye-opening
0: place. Griff, news overnight. I know you've never covered the Notre Dame beat, but you obviously know Notre Dame. They're trying to hire the Utah offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig. And the story by Pete Thamel, who's a very good info dude, as we know, says that... To get him, they would have to pay $2.8 million, which is his buyout, and they've told Marcus Freeman they're not going to pay it. What does that say about Notre Dame football? Well, I mean, I
1: don't know many people that want to pay $2.8 million on a coordinator, maybe a coach, but, you know, at Notre Dame football, you know, for really decades now, going back to Lou Holtz, really hasn't paid real well. You know, And and just talking with coaches about Notre Dame, they kind of have that attitude that they don't have to pay you as well as other places because you're coaching at Notre Dame. And that's kind of part of what's led to, I wouldn't say the demise, because Notre Dame is still a pretty decent brand, but it's why it's no longer the best brand, because that arrogance is still in place. And, And let's face it, I mean, there is something about Notre Dame. It is still a really special school. They do have their own television network, and it is still a brand. But I don't think any of us believe that Notre Dame's getting all the best players like they once did. I think, you know, you see Alabama and Georgia now with the most number of players. And, and I use the NFL draft as a gauge for that. Um, but that's kind of where Notre Dame's at. That's why Brian Kelly got out, though. Brian Kelly took Notre Dame as high as you can take the program. You know, you're not going to beat SEC teams. Once again, talking about the salary pool, the salary cap, you ain't going to beat teams that are paying more money for players. It's just, it just you can't do it. It, you know, I mean, every now and then a baseball team might pull it off. Um, but for the most part, the highest paid players are
0: the better players and they are probably going to win games. But, and and I don't know if this is a good comparison, if Kirby Smart was, let's say Todd Monkin leaves someday, and he will, and Kirby wants an offensive coordinator and there's a buyout of a couple of million bucks, they're not going to tell Kirby no, are they? He's already
1: got the next guy on the staff. So that's where Kirby's playing three-dimensional chess, not checkers. Right. He's already got the next offensive coordinator on the staff, Bill. I mean, that, that's how George is set up. Uh, you know, Munkin, um, I don't think he had a buyout. he just gotten fired. But because of where George is at right now and the success and the kids that they have, where they're better than everybody on their schedule, you know, maybe Alabama and Ohio State are the only two programs that can measure up from a talent standpoint. You don't need to go begging for anybody. There's plenty of guys that want to coach there because they know they can win, because they know they're going to have a talent advantage over, you know, 98% of the opponents.
0: Griff joins us each and every Tuesday, AJC's Dog Nation. What keeps you busy? Do you cover basketball much for your site?
1: You know, pick and choose
0: columns on basketball.
1: Um, You know, I'm doing a draft story right now, a lot of drafts. Georgia's got 12 guys going to the Combine. I think only Alabama has more, 13. Whereas Georgia had 15 guys drafted last year. They'll probably have, I'd say, at least nine or ten drafted this year. So, writing about the Combine, did a story on Stetson Bennett, kind of back in the underdog role. Um, Urban Meyer had some comments about him. Jim Diamond had some comments about him, what's happened. Since the parade with the arrest, um, looking at mock drafts, how many Georgia guys could go in the first round anywhere from two to four, depending on the mock draft that you're looking at. Um, so, you know, things like that, um, went to the senior bowl, you know, uh, covered a ton of stuff there, talked to a ton of people there. Um, still have more stories coming out of that. Talk to a Georgia tech players, a projected first rounder about the gap closing between tech and Georgia. Um, I'll be writing again. The combine is the end of the month, not that far away. So between now and then, just you know, doing stories on you know different Georgia football players. Uh, I think pro days come up in Georgia in March. I think that's about when they start their spring drills. So looking at some different position groups, um, and then like you said, you know, parachuting in with with some basketball, and I may do a baseball and softball preview this week. Georgia softball is pretty good. Um, Georgia baseball is okay. You know, <clears throat> SEC is tough. So I might preview those two sports this week this week as well.
0: Ken in Middle Georgia says Big Twelve Schools recently got about forty two million per team. SEC schools just announced they got about forty nine plus million. With regard to the grant of rights, Longhorn Network, Bally Sports OU, etc. recruiting, does Texas and OU really have a net loss or a gain beginning in twenty twenty four when they come?
1: Well, I know they had to pay part of their buyouts. I don't know if that's part of this guy's uh, equation or formula, so to speak. But um, ultimately, yeah, because the next contract is going to be probably worth over a billion dollars. So those payouts are going to go up greatly. Um, You know, and that's kind of what each conference has to weigh when they add schools is do you really want to add two more pieces of the pie? Do they make it worthwhile? You know, some people have argued, well, you know, the SEC was already in Texas with A&M, but – um, I feel like Texas is a different entity. Um, I don't know maybe the ins and outs of Texas like others, but I kind of associate A&M more with, with Houston. And I feel like Texas is more um, cemented into that, especially Texas-Oklahoma, into that Dallas-Fort Worth area, which I believe is either the number three or number four metro market in the nation. And now you own it. You know, you don't just have a piece of it with A&M. Like you own it. With it. And, and Oklahoma City is a major league city as well. Um, so I think the brands, um, I think the region, I think there's more of a re- I think those are more regional teams, Oklahoma and Texas, so I definitely think that it was worth it for the SEC to add them to the footprint in terms of what they bring, and I think it's worth it for Texas and Oklahoma as well, um, because now they're going to be able to sell playing against the best players in the nation. It looks kind of like this is where it's going. I mean, Big Ten, SEC kind of super conferences, and You know, big 12-pack, 12-ACC, you know, kind of holding off for dear life.
0: I think this is in jest here, but Jeff and Ashton said he asked Griff if the Georgia-Florida basketball game will be played in Jacksonville. Do you even want to answer that? I mean,
1: I don't know. I don't think there's enough. Now, there is a Georgia-Florida baseball game that gets played every fall the night before the cocktail party. Um... But I, I – no, I don't think so. I, I, do, think, um, I do think Georgia's going to bring their game with Florida back to Athens because of the scheduling and also because of some of the home-and-homes that Georgia has ahead, not just with Georgia Tech every year, but they've, they've scheduled pretty aggressively. Um, you know, with, I think USC and maybe UCLA coming up with a home-and-home. Home. So when you're playing Georgia Tech and UCLA and home-and-homes, and if we're talking about going to a nine-game schedule – you got to have enough home games to make it worth it for your season ticket holders. I just don't think you can afford that neutral site uh, game in, in what would be a designated home game weekend. Now, will Florida keep their home game with Georgia and Jacksonville? Perhaps. It's only 70 miles from the campus. That would seem to make sense to me. But as far as any plans for the Georgia-Florida basketball game, I don't, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of anticipation there with maybe either one of those programs at this point.
0: Estimate for us who you think Georgia's three future permanent football opponents will be.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because, you know, you got to kind of take the other school into account. I mean, everybody wants to say, Georgia needs to
0: keep playing Auburn.
1: Well, how does Auburn feel about playing Georgia and Alabama every year? You know, everybody wants to give Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Auburn, and LSU. Do you really think Alabama's going to go for that? I mean, yeah, they're riding high right now, but that's, that, you know, that doesn't seem
0: – right. Of course, everybody wants
1: Vanderbilt as a permanent opponent because they're so lousy and they can go to Nashville and take over their stadium. Uh, but not everybody can play Vanderbilt every year, guys. Um, so I would say I think Florida definitely is an annual opponent. Um, I like South Carolina as an annual opponent because of the proximity. And South Carolina looks at Georgia as their number one rival. Georgia looks at in the SEC. And Georgia looks at South Carolina like is – Number four, like, are they really a rival? Like, okay. You know, um right. I'd like to see Georgia keep Tennessee as a rival, but I don't know that, that Tennessee feels that way because Tennessee wants to keep Alabama, right? So does Tennessee want to play Alabama, Georgia every year? You know, you, those are the things you get into. Is you know, the fans are like, Oh hell yeah You know, but the coaches are like, Well now wait a minute guys, we need we need to win enough games here. You know, so it's, it's just you know, you don't want to overload your team and and um you know, undercut their chances at, at making the playoffs, the 12-team playoffs. So this is important. So I guess where I would sit, you know, Georgia, um, Florida, uh, I think either South Carolina or Kentucky, and then either Tennessee or Auburn. So I'm kind of giving you five teams for three. But Florida is definitely going to be one of the three, assuming we're going to the 6-3 model, which I think we are. I think we're going to a nine-game right. schedule. right.
0: Trey, who was just let out of Twitter jail, he's a big Georgia fan. Griff says Georgia doesn't care about basketball. Tell him to go back and look at the few good Georgia teams and see how much people care. When the dogs are decent, people show up and we sell the place out.
1: Well, I I appreciate that. He's right, they do. But did you know, Bill, that since 1933, Georgia's had one team that's won the regular season in 1990 and one team that's won the SEC tournament? And that was a tornado year, 2007 or eight. So to Trey's point, when they're good, people get excited, but they've only won the SEC twice since 1933. That's 90 years. And they've won one regular season championship in 90 years. Think about that. That's worse than Vanderbilt in football. That, that's, I, they don't even can, even, can even equal what Vanderbilt's done in football. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's an abomination. And, and when Georgia's good, yeah, I mean, they can fill the 10,000-seat arena when they're good. I mean, you know, imagine if Tennessee or Kentucky had 10,000 fans on, it'd be a failure. So it's all relative. You know, if you're a student at Georgia and you're in a full arena with 10,500 people and you beat an unranked Kentucky team, maybe that's a great memory for you. But the rest of the country kind of steps back and goes, well, yeah, you beat Kentucky, but we weren't even in the top 25. So... I understand what he's saying, and I don't want to – listen, everybody's – when I covered Idaho State, my first beat ever was Idaho State. I don't talk about it a lot because people don't really know about Idaho State or care. But my first beat ever was Idaho State out of college. I mean, my first full-time. When I was in college, I covered the Detroit Lions and Michigan State stuff and all that. But, I mean, full-time job, Idaho State. And they cared. They cared in Pocatello. When Idaho State played Idaho, or when they played a really good Weber State team, oh man, the Weber State game's Friday night. Idaho State and Weber State, it mattered, Bill. I'll bet you there's not a person on this call, uh, listening, in the broad, greater Nashville national streaming radio audience that has ever seen Idaho State play Weber State, and I'll bet you that 95% of them can't even tell you where Weber State is at. Those Idaho State people cared
0: about that game. That's what I felt like. Griff. Oh, quick one. Just yes or no. Josh in Pickerington, Ohio. Ask Griff if he thinks Ohio State and Georgia will meet in the playoffs again next year.
1: Not next year, but in the next three years.
0: See you next week, sir. Coming. There he is. There's Griff. Insurance dog. Tennessee Insurance Dog, ask Rib, the quarterback job is Bexton.